You may be seated. He has no rival, he has no equal. That was awesome. It's good to be back with you guys this week. I'm Joe Davis, I'm one of the pastors here. and um, We were going to start 2 Corinthians today, but Megan said no. (laughs) That I had to preach on Advent for a few weeks, so that's what we're doing. It is a true story. (laughs) Uh, For real, uh, your worship director has a real passion and a heart for Advent. She always has. It means a lot to her, and so um, it's why we're doing that, because she really wants to help you guys focus uh, on what Christmas really is about. For many people, Christmas time is not easy. It's hard. Sometimes it's filled with regret, shame, but that's not what Christmas should be about. And we're going to talk about Advent. Today, the title of the message is Grace Comes Toward. And we're going to talk about Mary. Uh, I want to thank Jen for reading the passage, because that was 30 verses that I was going to have to read, and I didn't want to do that. So, But it's a great story. And you know, Mary was actually prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, hundreds of years before she was born. Matter of fact, Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so with that idea, I want to talk about how grace comes toward. Let me just give you some examples. What does Advent mean? You hear the Advent season. I'm going to break it down for you. Okay, first of all, the word veni, the, the Latin word means to come. To come. You see, ven, invent, is come. There's a couple of words I want to teach you. So the first one is intervene. That means to come between. Contravene means to come against, like a battle. Intervene means like sort of like, you know, you're, you're kind of in the middle here and you're trying to make peace. Then there's convene, which means to come together. But then advene, where we get our word advent from, it means to come toward. Advenient grace is what we talk about. It's that grace comes toward So what we have when we say Advent season, what we're really saying is grace is coming toward us. That's what Advent means. Many people didn't realize that. Maybe they thought it meant Christmas tree, eggnog, Rudolph. I don't know. Maybe you thought it meant, but it means that grace is coming toward you. And we believe at Grace Life in something called advenient grace. That is that grace comes toward us. We are powerless to go toward it. It comes toward us. What basically happened is God sees a sin problem, and the only answer is him coming toward us to fix it. And once we recognize and understand that we are mired and dead in our sin, and that the only way out of this vicious trap of sin is that grace comes toward us, then we begin to understand the concepts of Advent. And maybe then it can start transforming Christmas from a time of burden to a time of rejoicing, even when there is pain and discomfort. There is no greater example of pain and discomfort than the story of Mary. So let's look at the historical part of today's passage that Jen read. 
I want to talk about Mary's pre-advent condition. Before grace came forward to her, came toward her, there were some things about her that I think are important to note. She was Jewish, obviously. But that means she was part of a culture, of a society, that had certain expectations of women, especially young women. Some of those expectations were not fair. Keep that in mind. She lived in the country. She was a Jewish redneck, if you will. (laughs) She didn't live in the city. She was a beyond-the-suburbs, rural type of person, which means she probably wasn't that well-educated. She wasn't wealthy. She wasn't well-networked, if you will. She was also a woman carrying those burdens of being a Jewish Rural person, also being a lady. She was young. She has no respect among... She's young. A young woman. She was a virgin. But she was also promised to Joseph. So this is her situation. This is her condition. And in reality, what we know about the historical time that she was living in These things had to work out perfectly for her to have any type of good reputation. Now, this was actually Mary's world, where she lived. The spiritual and political aspects of it were pretty intimidating. Do you understand what this means? The the spiritual and political part of this, they treated people who were, let's say, promiscuous in a very bad way. I mean, she's away from home. She's not home. She didn't know exactly what would await her when she returned to Joseph. She's had this visit from the angel. You're going to bear a son. I mean, what she's, what she's probably thinking, I'm a woman from the country in Jerusalem, and I'm promised to Joseph, and now I'm pregnant. What about her reputation in this spiritual and political world that she lived in? Not to mention the fact that there should be a concern for her pregnancy medically with no family support because of them being ashamed of her, perhaps. This is all happening to her all at once. She's going through all this in her mind. I'm carrying this baby who's supposed to be the son of God. My, my husband that I, or my husband to be is not going to understand. My family's going to be filled with shame. They're not going to be around me. I don't have any money. I'm 14, 15, 16 years old. I don't know anyone. How am I going to care for myself? And in that day, if you were considered to be immoral, they could have legally and spiritually, more, like religiously, the right to take you out to the city center, strip you and put rags on you, and beat you, mock you, or stone you. Call you all sorts of names, spit on you, and leave you there for an example of all the other women in town. Don't act like this one. You guys, understand, she's a young woman and she's bearing this burden. What about her family? Would they reject her? Or would they believe that God was using her? What would you do? The Holy Spirit? Yeah, right, Mary. How could you do this? Joseph's a good man. 
Your life was all planned out. He's a carpenter. He could actually make some money and provide for you. And you go and do this? No, I promise you, it was the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on. The pressure of being the mother of God, that in and of itself, for a maybe just entering high school age type of girl, is a lot of pressure. Hey, Mary, here's God. Do a good job. <laughs> Raise him up. <laughs> Raise God. <laughs> you single 14-year-old woman with no money and no family and full of shame. You got it? Good. Talk to you in about 30 years. <laughs> That's her historical situation. You think she was looking forward to Christmas? Probably not at first. I mean, I can't imagine the stress that she was under. Look at the theological action. What does God do? What is the coming toward action that he does? First of all, he sends an angel to talk to her. Verse 26 to 33, Mary, listen, here's what's going on. And here's what your, your, your son is going to be for the world. This is how important your job is. The Spirit causes, God causes Mary to conceive a son. And then God does something pretty amazing, and, and Jen read about it. He creates this incredibly special relationship with Elizabeth, a family member who is also having a miracle child, John the Baptist. And the scripture says she went and lived with them for, I think, like three months. Can you imagine, like, the, the relief it must have been when she goes in, she sees Zachariah, and she sees Elizabeth, and Elizabeth understands, no, Mary, I get it. Don't worry. At this time, Joseph's trying to decide, do I, do I marry her, or do I put her away privately? I don't know. I imagine that's taking about three months for him to decide. And in the meantime... She's staying with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And when she first walks in, Elizabeth says, Mary, this is awesome. I was barren, and now I have a miracle child. And when you walked in, my baby jumped. I mean, can you imagine the friendship and the bond that they developed? And can you imagine, oh, how important that must have been to Mary? In this horribly, ridiculously challenging time, she has someone who gets it. No, Mary, I know what's going on. I believe you. Stay with us. We got you. We talk about the grace life. She spends about three, mo three months there. And then you know what else God does? And we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. God sends shepherds to the manger. Then he has this situation where God moves Simeon and Anna, this is in Luke 22, 25 to 38, to prophesy this child is Messiah. I, I have it in my notes to read it, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to, to, you know, to read 13 verses right now. Write it down if you have it or put it on your phone. Read that when you get home. Luke chapter 2, 25 to 38. It's an amazing story. This is what God is doing, by the way. And you know what else God does? And we'll probably talk about this next week or the week after. Then he sends these really important guys called Magi to worship the king. So all this is happening from the moment the angel visits her all throughout her pregnancy to the time that the baby's born in a manger. He sends these guys who are, understand who the Magi were. They're the most well-respected men in the modern world. 
Everybody knew who they were. They were world famous. They were wealthy. They were powerful. They were brilliant. And God says, go visit the baby Jesus in the manger. Can you imagine what Mary's thinking? And these guys bring these incredibly expensive gifts. Wow. Little Mary, I'm just a simple country girl. And these kings have come to visit my son. Guys, can you see how that might be a gift to Mary? Can you see how that could be an idea of grace coming toward her in a difficult time? Maybe it's just me, but I'd be like, wow. First, this this relationship with Elizabeth. And then the, the prophecy from Simeon and Anna that you're supposed to read about later. If you don't, you're in trouble. And then God sending the Magi. These were amazing personalized gifts of affirmation and comfort to Mary to know that her new purpose in life was real and special and that she was blessed because grace had come toward her. She didn't ask for it. It just consumed her life. Now let's talk about the devotional part of this. I want to talk about the Advent effect, the coming toward effect. How did the Advent change everything for Mary? Basically what had happened, it caused her to engage in intense and at first disturbing, I'm sure, reflection on everything she thought her life was about and how all of her plans, all of her ideas, all of her goals, all of her dreams had completely been changed. She should have been extremely stressed. I mean, she had to be troubled and confused. You think Christmas was fun, joyful, and decorative for her? But you know what happens? She quickly becomes humble and willing. I'm willing to bear whatever bad might come because I'm excited about the new purpose. She trusted God to do what he said he was going to do. And then she does something amazing that we'll read later. She praised God for what he was doing. Even though what he was doing was just going to destroy her life as wish she knew it. Going to maybe put her in some serious harm's way, in some danger and being judged by others. What does she do? She praises God for what he's doing because she knows my new purpose is so much higher than my old comfortable one. She became the special object of God's blessing. The grace God sent toward her came with so many blessings. And the scripture says she reflected on these events often. Oh, I'll bet. (laughs) Advenient grace and all of its accessories together were tailor-made for her. I mean, she could have said... Why is God punishing me? But instead, whatever God wants, Emmanuel is my focus now. Whatever God wants. I was going to be married. That may not happen now. Whatever God wants. I might face a lot of shame and judgment from people who don't know what's going on. They don't believe me. But whatever happens, Emmanuel is my focus now. 
Mary is in a season of her life where she has a lot that she could be using as a reason for self-loathing, worry, self-pity. But rather than what should be a swirling, sucking eddy of despair, we find her worshiping in verses 46 to 56. I'm going to read it. This is Mary's response to the angel. This 14-year-old country girl with no money. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She's talking about her. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he, this is 14 year old Mary, by the way. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her cousin for about three months and then returned home. I imagine, I'm going to insert this, I'm guessing, I imagine that's when she got the word Hey, Mary, this is Joseph. Yeah, I know this is a long text, but an angel came and talked to me. I believe you. I believe you. Come home. Let's focus on Emmanuel together. Can you imagine how she felt when she got that message from Joseph? And I'm guessing it was about three months after she had left, she went home. How advenient grace changes everything for us. You know, some of you have experienced grace coming toward you. Hopefully all of you, I don't know. But here's what happens when it does. Just like Mary, our life plan is disrupted. The values and things you thought important were before grace comes toward you changes. Everything is different. What used to be valuable now just becomes something you might need or maybe not. And you have a new focus. The spirit gives you life. It's actually kind of neat. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit in conception and with Mary. It's just kind of the same thing that happens with you in Ephesians 2. You who are dead in sins, has he made alive? The spirit gave birth, gave life in Mary's womb. The spirit gives life to us in our dead souls. That's what happens when grace comes towards you. So when you think about the virgin birth and the Holy Spirit conceiving, think about it in this way. He conceived a new life in me. Self is no longer your primary focus. Mary's life was now for all those who would be given to Jesus, all those who would believe. And you know what else happens when grace comes toward us? 
we are transformed into worshipers. Just like Mary, this 14-year-old girl who wrote this thing called the Magnificat that I just read. I mean, that's what happened to her. That's what happens to us. That's why when the band was up here and we were singing that song, you have no rival, you have no equal, and you could feel that in your heart. You said, man, my G, that is a result of regeneration, of grace coming toward you. Church, when grace comes toward us, it's disruptive. It's not just a, a happy pill, just add water and drink and life is good. Grace coming towards you causes some discomfort. Maybe even having to deal with some of your sin you didn't want to think about. So maybe it can cause shame. But yet it's miraculous anyway. I mean, when grace came toward Mary, it was not easy. It wasn't like a trip to Disney World. And I think I outlined for you some of the things she was facing. When grace comes toward, it consumes our life for God's purpose. And like Mary, despite all the reasons we would have to complain and gripe and be bitter, our response is like the Magnificat, like what she wrote. Our response is supernatural. This 14-year-old country girl could not have worshipped God like that unless grace had come toward her in the first place. You're going to be the mother of Jesus. So maybe Christ is, and this is not a real word. It might be a real word, but I think I made it up. Maybe Christ is advening toward you today. That's actually saying Maybe Christ is coming toward, toward. It's a double thing there. So maybe it's a double negative. I hope not. But maybe Christ is advening toward you today. Unexpectedly. Dramatically. Like with Mary. In a huge way. Maybe even this very moment, you can feel the sense of, wow. Advent. Grace coming toward Are you ready to experience the effects and blessings of Advent grace this Christmas season? That's what we're talking about the next three to four services. I don't know how many there are. Three, four, we got maybe three, I don't know. But we're going to talk about Advent grace the next three weeks. We're going to talk about how Advenient grace disrupts, transforms, and gives you new purpose. It's not about the tree. It's not about the presence. It's about a disruption in your life that might make you uncomfortable, but in the end gives you new purpose for living. Dad, we're so thankful that grace comes toward us. We're so thankful for the story of Mary, this unsuspecting young virgin woman who one day woke up and didn't realize by the end of the day today, I'm going to be the mother of Emmanuel. Lord, we can't imagine all the difficulties that came with that because of the world she lived in. Yet by a miraculous transformation of her heart, 
she was able to say, whatever you want, my new focus is Emmanuel. Dear God, as grace comes toward us, help our focus to be just like Mary's.